Jazakallah khairan for joining another session of the IFG weekly tafsir. For those of you new to our series, in this tafsir we look at key verses pertaining to business, money, finance and society, ponder over them and draw for some actionable points of benefit. Today we'll be going through verse 160 and 161 from Surah An-Nisa and sharing some thoughts over the meaning. So I'll go ahead and read those verses now inshallah. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فبظلم من الذين هادوا حرمنا عليهم طيبات أهلت لهم أهلت لهم وبصدهم عن سبيل الله كثيرا وأخذهم الربا وقد نحو عنه وأقلهم أموال الناس بالباطل واعتدنا للكافرين منهم عذابا أليما صدق الله العظيم And the translation goes as follows We forbade the Jews certain foods that had been lawful to them for their wrongdoing and for hindering many from the way of Allah, taking interest despite its prohibition and consuming people's wealth unjustly. We have prepared for the disbelievers among them a painful punishment. So to contextualize these verses, apologies for the notifications sounds that you guys are hearing. I'm just using a couple of devices here and I can't mute them, unfortunately. Okay, so to give some context to these verses, Several verses throughout the Qur'an mention some of the wrongdoing that the Yahud used to do and the punishment they would get for doing so. This present verse in particular talks about some of the vices here of theirs that got or deserved a separate type of punishment. And that punishment was that Allah made certain things that were halal for them, haram for them. Of course, there will also be the punishment on the day of judgment. But in the present world, we're seeing some sort of manifestation of their sins in the real world. So as we know as Muslims, in the Sharia bought by the, our Prophet Muhammad wasallam, you know, we have lawful and unlawful things. We have halal and haram. But we know that usually when things are made haram, there is a physical or a spiritual harm they bring. But what this verse is illustrating in particular, that this wasn't the case for Bani Israel. What happened with them was that good things that had no harm whatsoever were forbidden to them, simply because good things were forbidden to them as an act of punishment for their transgression and disobedience. And I find this really fascinating and let's pull some benefits from this, shall we? What I really noticed in this is that sins do affect your day-to-day -day life, even though you might not realize this. Now, there might be a brother on here who watches haram things on the internet and he'll be thinking, how could my day-to-day -day watching of these haram things affect my risk that Allah has determined for me and the money, my, the salary that I get and the money that will come into my house. Well, this verse illustrates that it very much is possible. There is a link between the metaphysical and the physical, but it's not one that we understand. 
it's true that our Sharia has now come down. We've got our Quran, we've got our books of Hadith, and we've got our scholars who interpret those books. So it's not necessarily the case that Allah is now going to make things that were halal for us, haram for us. For example, you might love chocolate and now Allah as a punishment for your sins is going to make chocolate haram. No, that's not going to happen. But what will happen is that day-to-day things in your lives will be affected. And one of them is your risk. And I think an excellent example of this is the verse in Surah Al-Kahf, verse 82. It's a small part of it. وَكَانَ أَبُوهُمَا صَالِحًا So in Surah Al-Kahf, there is a story where Khidr alayhi salam repairs a wall with Musa alayhi salam because behind that wall or under that wall that was damaged and it was on the brink of falling apart, there was some buried treasure because back in the day, you didn't have banks. You couldn't deposit something and trust that, you know, your children would receive it. There was some buried treasure there that was left by the father of two orphan boys. And if that wall had collapsed, the people of the town would have just taken the money because again, there's no proper governance system there. Nowadays, the government manages a lot of our lives. But in the old days, that wasn't the case. The government wouldn't manage your day-to-day life, your money and stuff like that. There were no banks. So if there was money buried in the ground, that's how people saved money. They would bury money in the ground in a location that others wouldn't know about. And that's how you would save money. So this wall was repaired by Khidr alayhi salam and Musa alayhi salam. So when Musa alayhi salam asks Khidr alayhi salam, and I'm rushing the story here in the interest of time, uh, Khidr alayhi salam, the Quran actually tells us that وَكَانَ أَبُوهُمَا صَالِحًا that the two boys' father, the father of the two boys was righteous. He was salih. He was righteous. So because of that, Allah had sent Khidr alayhi salam to prepare this wall and repair it. So, By repairing this wall, the wealth of these orphans was protected, which is amazing, right? Because the piety of the father didn't actually, as far as we know, didn't get him more wealth. It didn't make him wealthier. But what it did do, it bought the barakah. It bought blessings and favor from Allah. And so Allah protected his money so that his children were looked after. His children, the father himself had passed away. So that's why the children were orphans. And as you know, back in the old times, orphans were considered weak because no one would stand up for their rights, which is why Islam puts such a heavy emphasis on looking after orphans because they're one of the oppressed minorities in society. So because of that, because of the righteousness of the father, his piety, which is a metaphysical thing, Allah protected his wealth and enabled his children to receive and benefit from that wealth. Isn't that something so amazing? Many of us parents, we're we're panicked about the idea of our children and who's going to look after them and if they're guided or not. But here we have an example where Allah protected the children because of the righteousness of the father. He provided for the children. Allah provided risk for the children because of the righteousness of the father. Those children did not earn that wealth. That wealth wasn't technically theirs. It was their father's. It was their inheritance, sure. But they didn't earn it. But Allah protected it from for them. And if may, perhaps if the father was not righteous, then Allah would never have sent Khidr salam and Musa salam to repair that wall. Thereby the wall would collapse and those two boys' inheritance, all that money that would have supported them when they grew up, would be taken away. And once it's taken away, 
then those children would have been left on the streets, homeless, who knows where they would end up. So we can see that the metaphysical does interact with the physical world in a way that only Allah knows. We don't understand how it works. We know we have various narrations of angels, for example, bringing rain to a place. We know, for example, here's an, another excellent example. In Kandahar in Afghanistan, there was a drought, a very bad drought. Animals were dying, people were dying of thirst. So about thousands of people in Kandahar got together and did Salatul Istisqa, which is a prayer seeking rain. It's from the Sunnah. The Prophet ﷺ is reported in authentic hadith to have done this. And then what happened? Then like a few days later, it started raining for like three or four days straight. That's an example of how the metaphysical does interact with the physical. And we know from the Quran that rain is a form of risk. Because with rain comes growth of vegetation, animals get water, everyone needs water to survive. So with rain comes many benefits. Rain is a form of risk. So here's another way we know that the metaphysical does interact with the physical world. But it sounds strange to us. But that's because we humans have become arrogant. Because now that we have science, we think we know it all. We think we understand how the whole universe works. But we actually only have a very small amount of knowledge on the workings of the universe. And when you think about the grand scheme of things, when you think about the sheer size of the universe, like our minds cannot compute how big this universe is. Our knowledge is minuscule, like minuscule, very little. But some people might object to this. You might have some people turn around and say, well, some of the most pious people are still poor. I mean, the Prophet ﷺ was poor, many of the Sahaba were poor, and who's better than them? We can respond to this by saying, because that's simply what Allah had intended for their risk. Maybe it's possible even to say that they would be even poorer if they were more sinful. We don't know, but we know that Allah dictates the risk for every single human being. But we know that things can change if you make dua, for example, if you're more pious, we've just spoken about that. But piety doesn't guarantee wealth any more than sinfulness guarantees poverty. Rather, piety gains the favor of Allah, his barakah in your risk, which is worth a lot more. And I'll reiterate the point that the father who was pious in Surah Al-Kaf, he, as far as we know, didn't gain any extra wealth for his thing, for his piety. But his children were well looked after by Allah. And isn't that a blessing in and of itself? Isn't that something priceless? That Allah will look after your children? That to me, to me as a parent, I have three kids. And I can tell you right now, that is something priceless. If someone could guarantee that, they, that my children would be looked after, they would be guided and they would die upon Islam and they would, you know, have uh, good forms of risk and be looked after. For me, that's priceless. That's priceless. But some people may turn around again and say, you know, many kuffar and many of the most sinful people in the world think about all the tyrants and oppressors in the world. They're very rich. So why are they so rich, even though they're so sinful? Well, we know as a fact that Allah has told us in the Quran that he only gives them more money, more wealth, so that he can increase their punishment on the day of judgment. Subhanallah. Because for every resource or asset, 
or risk or for any kind of risk or money or wealth or blessing that you're given, it's also a test because you're going to be held accountable for that test. Someone's asking risk is also guidance. Yes, of course, risk comes in many different forms. But risk is basically ni'mah. It's, it's a blessing. It's a benefit that you, you take out of something. One of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ said that one of the best forms of risk in this world is a pious spouse, for example. So yes, risk comes in many forms, but we're particularly talking about wealth here. But of course, it applies uh, more broadly, of course. So we know that many of these, back to the main point, many of these non-Muslims and wicked and evil people have a lot of money, but Allah is testing them. And Allah knows he's, they're failing the test. So on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, when Allah says, I gave you billions and you use those billions to torture people, you use those billions to fight, to do injustice on the world. You use those billions to oppress people. How much trouble will those oppressors be in on that day? We can only imagine. We can only imagine the type of punishments they would face. And hell is created for such people. Remember that. But conversely, you can also say, those of us that do have wealth, this should motivate us to spend that wealth wisely, to put more in charity, give more to, you know, relatives that are not doing so well, to be more generous and exhibit those qualities of the Prophet ﷺ where he was so generous with his wealth. And many of the Sahaba, many of the rich, rich Sahaba were so generous that they would literally give wealth away. They will keep coming back to them, which again shows us that there is a metaphysical connection with the physical. There were Sahaba that used to, Abdurrahman ibn Auf would say that he would constantly give his wealth away as if he was trying to get rid of it. But it would keep coming back to him. And that is a ni'mah. This, this is barakah from Allah. So Allah gives wealth to different people for different reasons. And ultimately, Allah knows best. For some pious people, wealth will corrupt them. So Allah withholds that wealth from them out of his mercy. Think of that. Allah is withholding wealth from some people out of his mercy. He is being merciful. If Allah wanted, he could make everyone in this world a billionaire. But Allah knows that this pious person, he's poor right now. But the moment I give him one million, he's going to be tempted by the fitna of women. He's going to be tempted by the fitna of extravagance. And he's going to fall into haram things. So I'm going to withhold it for him. And instead, he will get it in the akhirah where it is eternal. Wealth is eternal in the akhirah. In this dunya, it's temporary. You could become Jeff Bezos and have billions under your belt. But one day you're going to die and those billions are going to go to your kids and your inheritors and you are never going to see them again. In the akhirah, if Allah gives you billions, trust me, billions is nothing. He'll give you trillions and, and more beyond what your mind can comprehend. And you will be satisfied. In this world, even the billions won't satisfy you. My teacher, Sheikh Akram Nadwi, often says that this whole world would not satisfy the desire of one person. All the beautiful women in this world would not satisfy the desire of one man and vice versa. All the money and power and fame would not satisfy the desire of one person. One person, be it man or woman. Because this world was not made to satisfy. You are meant to feel like you're not satisfied. The only thing that satisfies one person is the dhikr of Allah, the remembrance of Allah. Because Allah said in the Quran, only in the remembrance of Allah do the hearts find peace. So we should endeavor to be pious solely for pleasing Him and looking to the Akhirah. The world is full of tests. This world is made for tests. What may appear as blessings to some 
are often tests, but what may appear as difficulties are often blessings. If we are given wealth, we should be grateful. If we're not given wealth, then we should do our best to seek it, but ultimately depend on Allah, on Ar-Razak to provide for us. And guys, I think ultimately think long term. This is my piece of advice to everyone. And it's my piece of advice to myself first and foremost. Think long term. And I'm not talking about retirement. No, I'm talking about the Akhirah because that's when we actually retire. Real retirement is in the Akhirah. That's when you can put your feet up and rest and relax and reap the rewards of all the hard work that you put in. Now, to summarize before we conclude, remember that sins can have a metaphysical impact on your risk. We should use this to discourage ourselves from sinning. If you remember this point and you know that, okay, if that by sinning, my risk is decreasing, this will discourage you from sinning. Even if fear of Allah is not into you, even if the idea of Jannah and Jahannam is not enough to push you to not sin, then remember this, that your risk, your physical livelihood, your worldly life will be affected by you, by you sinning. And Allah has mentioned this in the Quran numerous times. Piety does not guarantee wealth any more than sinfulness guarantees poverty. But piety does guarantee Allah's pleasure. And with that pleasure comes blessings and barakah. And Allah ultimately distributes risk according to His will for reasons that only He knows and we submit to that judgment. We submit, we hear and we obey. So my dear brothers and sisters, work hard and strive for the Akhirah. If you are given blessings, know that they may be tests. And if you are given tests, then know that they may be blessings and be conscious of Allah always. And with that, we conclude until next time. وَآخِرُ الدَّعْوَانَا عَنِ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ سُبْحَانَكَ اللَّهُمَّ وَبِحَمْدِكَ أَشَدُ وَاللَّا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنْتْ وَاسْتَغْفِرُكَ وَأَتُوبُ إِلَيْكَ السَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ وَبَرَكَاتُهُ If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.